everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 84 of the show, which has us in the middle of February 1965. It's the second week of the second month, and we have three more comics coming at your earballs tonight on Make Ours Marvel. We are two days away from me being negative 10 years old when these come out. Whoa. Right? My negative 10th so, birthday is a long way away. You're so much older yeah, than I am. I know. We should celebrate both of them. We we'll should. Celebrate, we'll celebrate mine with Sergeant Fury, which we all know is my favorite thing to cover, and which I get to cover tonight, because that's how that rotation works. You know, before we get into the actual comics, though, I want to throw out a shout out. Okay. Cool. So, I have been rereading Watchmen recently. Oh, uh-huh. Not just because the HBO TV show starts this weekend as a recording. But also because friend and listener of the show, Michael David Sims, has joined with his hetero podcasting life mate, Dan Toland, to do a Watchmen podcast called 12 Minutes to Midnight. And I just finished listening to the first episode today. And you want to talk about a deep dive. So they spend the better part of two hours going through the details of the first issue of Watchmen. Um, Really enjoyed it. They have a really great dynamic between the two of them. And I'm definitely looking forward to rereading the series because I haven't read the series in probably 10 years. And I'm not sure how much of the back matter of each issue I've read. So I just want to throw out a podcast shout out for those people. Yeah, you kind of have to do deep dive when you're talking Watchmen, right? Be really weird to just do a superficial... run through real fast but uh yeah that's a real meaty subject matter one of the few trades i still have because it's fun to flip through it every once in a while and that goes along with uh, another friend of the show and frequent uh co-host um sarah century she was one of several women who wrote about watchmen issue by issue uh, did a series of articles and um, i'll send you a link maybe we can post a link to that collection on the website sure absolutely but yeah, okay, so all that that he said, Sergeant Fury, World War II, guns and stuff. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, issue number 17, While the Jungle Sleeps, came out February 11th, 1965, like we said. Story, ex-Sergeant Stanley, USA. Art, ex-Corporal Dick Ayers, USAF. Inking, ex-Sergeant Vince Coletta, USAF. And lettering, Artie Semek, civilian taxpayer. Woohoo, Artie. Yeah, what, is Artie. US, what is USAF? United States Air Force. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah, because they had an Army Air Force back then. They didn't yeah, have an Air Force. Say, Air I don't Force. think the actual Air Force was a separate entity in World War II. No. It might have been it still referred to as such. I think it's part of the Army or something. Anyway. Well, it started out as part of the Army, yeah. So, in what I think is the first time in this book, and we can argue that later if I'm wrong, this is a direct continuation of last issue. Because they're still in the desert and they're on camels and they're trying to get back to, you know, some drop-off point or something. And on the way in the desert, they get attacked by two German um, um, airplanes, speaking of Air Force. So very, um, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they're they're trying to find cover. But it's, of course, the desert, so not a whole lot of cover to be found. They're kind of hiding behind sand hills and stuff like that. But they're also the Howlers and one guy decides – after they are 
you know, these two plane guys are stupidly toying with them and thinking it's great sport to like try and shoot at them. But ultimately, when they try and get serious and dive bomb them, the howlers all focus their guns on the guy's bomb. And of course, they hit it and the dude's plane explodes. Meanwhile, Dum Dum manages to get a great shot at the other guy's uh, tail. So he crashes and he pops out of the airplane looking to fight. But of course, they beat him up because it's just one guy. So he surrenders. Um, they use the radio of the plane to contact Happy Sam Sawyer, who has a mission for him, believe it or not. Like two or three miles you know, north or something, there's apparently a jungle. And in that jungle, there's some um, army guys who were there to provide aid and supplies, and they were captured. So go in there and free them up. So, you know, the howlers are like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Not only are we not getting rescued, but we have to do another freaking mission. So they love to complain, though. And anyway, oh, I, I'm on their side on this, though. This is this is yeah. a lot. <laughs> this is craziness. But they are right there. So yeah. um, anyway, they're the German guys like kill me or, you know, I, I don't want to be a prisoner. He's like, no, nah, we're not going to kill you. But you can just like go try and wander back home all by yourself in this desert. And he's like, um, actually, I'll just go with you guys. So that was kind of <laughs> funny. Anyway, they make it to the this. I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be the jungle, I guess, or it's supposed to be some oasis or whatever. But um, as they're sleeping, because they're tired, they get attacked by the indigenous uh, people there. And I'm not really sure what they are other than natives. But they have the headdress and the shield and the spear and the, you know, all that stuff. Um, The howlers make short work of them because they're natives and the howlers have guns and martial arts and stuff. But the German guy does escape during the fracas. Um, they find that the natives had some dog tags. So it's like, oh, these are the, obviously the people we're looking for. So they're pushing through the jungle, trying to find where to go. When they come across that escaped native, I'm sorry, escaped German. Um, unfortunately he was mauled by a, uh, cat or something, a cheetah, a tiger. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Some sort of big animal, but he decides, you know, since you guys helped me out to spare my life, I'll tell you where the German base is. So that was kind of nice on his way out. Um, but he dies. But they know where the German base is now. So they make their way there. They find it's basically the natives' uh, housing, and it's just been taken over by Germans. And they find that the Germans have guns, and they also find that there's a, there's a uh, you know, fenced-in area where all the soldiers are being held hostage or captive. So they send Gabe in, right? Gabe, um, and they dress him up as the witch doctor. Like a mysterious witch doctor person, yeah. A mysterious witch doctor person because I guess he has the same skin color. Because the natives are all like kind of anti their chief right now because they're sort of like drawn in by the power of the Nazis. But the chief is sort of like, these guys seem not cool, but he can't seem to turn them. So Gabe, in a chief outfit, using lame magic like pulling a quarter out of your ear and stuff, like convinces them all to like be on the chief's side because he's like patting the chief on the back and stuff. But of course the Germans see this and they don't like that. So they arrest Gabe. They take him into the, you know, into their house or whatever. They unmask him. It turns, Hey, you're not, you're not a native. You're an American and we're going to kill you in front of them just to make an example of you. Meanwhile, Nick and crew have smuggled some guns and given them to the prisoners and are telling them, you know, wait for our signal and you attack with us. They haul out Gabe in like a bamboo cage and they're going to kill him. But this actually backfires because it sort of inspires the natives to be like, wow, if this guy who looks a lot like us is standing up to the Germans, then we should too. And just about then, Percy does his best Mary Poppins impression and floats down from with a uh, 
umbrella and a machine gun and screams wahoo mary poppins with a machine gun <laughs> wahoo mary poppins, mary poppins y'all, y'all. <laughs> um and that starts everybody going. So now the the howlers are popping out from where they're hiding and the prisoners push their gate over and they've got guns and the natives are like, yeah, let's get them. And they make short work of the Germans who quickly surrender except for their commandant who runs into the jungle to try and get away. Nick Fury does his best Tarzan impression and swings on some vines and knocks him out. They get into a fist fight, but the commandant quickly surrenders because no one can beat Nick Fury in a fist fight. Um, take him back. The the chief is like, hey, thanks for helping free us. Uh, they make it home. And let's see. Happy Sam Sawyer tricks them and says, you know, there's a uh, formation. So you guys get all dressed up and ready. But it wasn't a formation. It was actually an award ceremony, which we all know the Howlers hate. They hate badges. They hate medals. But they suffer through it. Then we later cut to Nick and... Lady Pamela, and she's like, where have you been? He's like, oh, the natives were restless. And she's like, oh, you're so crazy. He's like, no, I'm really serious. Anyway, why do you want to be with me? I'm I'm a man-ape. And she's like, oh, no, you're a gentleman. Any woman would be happy to be with you. At which point the howlers show up and kind of like bust on him for being on a date. And he like screams profanity at them to prove that he's not really a gentleman. The end. You know, girls, sex, all that stuff is horrible, right? Right. That's supposed to so, show your feelings. You know that episode of Star Trek Code of Honor? Um, if you remind me of the story, probably. I don't really know titles very well. It's the fourth episode of The Next Generation. It's whenever Yar has to do a duel to the death with oh, the yeah. wife. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that's one of those episodes that tries to be culturally embracing and ends up on the complete opposite side of where they tried to be. <laughs> Feels a little and racist. End up making it, yeah, it's like a really, really, it comes off very insulting. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say this is that bad. They're trying to do a story about African peoples and showing them in a positive light. But there are several steps and choices made along the way here that are just a bit off center. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I was reading thinking it could be worse, pretty much. But yeah, yeah, it definitely definitely could be worse. Yeah. The um, the chief is a reasonable individual, and he's the only uh, person of the Native Nation with any complexity. Everyone else is totally taken in by the Nazis' thirst for power, mm-hmm. and um, they're fooled, like you said, by Gabe's silly display of magic powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of like that they took advantage of the fact that Gabe is an African-American, to mm-hmm. get him to infiltrate the African people. Um, I am not a black man, so I do not know if that's the sort of thing that actually does play well into a modern sensibility, but I thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> it was kind of funny, yeah. I liked his uh, it, magic it works, tricks. right? I mean, yeah. you use what you got. <laughs> and it's also kind of funny that they're like, I didn't even know we had a witch doctor. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. The people in this village are not painted as intelligent or complex or even really people. They're just, right. you know, a backdrop. But you know, I, I did some looking. Their appearance seems to be in keeping with people of that area. Um, as I was reading it, the first thing we see of them is just like a random spear attack from the jungle. And I was like, well, that's tropey. That's not great. But then what? we actually, they become part of the story. What area are we in? Because last issue, it was 
Arabs, wasn't it? Yeah, we're in northern Africa, which is okay. an Arabic dominated area. Um, but you can you just know, they're they're the same people couple, who in, you can walk a couple days and find find Africans chucking spears at you. Well, I'm not entirely sure what the distances are like as far as how you could get across on foot. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of northern Africa is desert, and just below that is jungle. Okay, so you go from so, really dry heat to really wet heat. All right. Well, they were on camels, so I guess you could just say that they've been at this a while. Right, right, right. So it's it makes enough sense for someone who doesn't know the area well enough to buy into it. Mm-hmm. Whether it actually makes sense is is more than I know. <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's kind of cool that we've been getting because we got this with Holland too. Like we've been getting these like occupied people stories. Right. Like the Arabs, the Africans. And before that, it was we were in Holland and there was just like they're trying to just live their lives while Germans are walking around with machine guns. And it's like that did happen during all this time. Like people just having to deal with (laughs) with like trying to live your life while someone has occupied you and walking around with a machine gun looking at you funny. I just had a a few things that I wrote down. Um, I thought it was really funny whenever Percy says wizard as like. You know, an exclamation of how cool something is. Mm-hmm. I felt like wizard should be 60s lingo because I don't know, it just yeah. sounds like it should be. But turns out people have been saying stuff as wizard ever since like 1922. Wonder why? Like what made that? Like Wizard of Oz or what? I don't that know. Was, maybe that wasn't 1922. That was later, right? I don't know. Um, there was a silent film in like 1914 or 1917 or something like that, but the book's been out since like 1904, I think. True. So it's definitely huh. part of the yeah. culture. I would have guessed 60s too. How interesting. Um, okay, so on page three going into page four, one aspect of these books that we haven't ever really commented upon, but it's in almost every issue, mm-hmm. is the differences that they draw between Nazi and American perspectives on humanity. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, I'm using some very broad strokes with those terms. I understand that. Please forgive me. I'm just trying to keep the conversation simple. Um, we're often given comments from Nazis about how all Americans are cowards. And, mm-hmm. and here the guy says Hitler told him so. Mm-hmm. But Fury shows compassion on him. And when they take a Nazi prisoner, he tells him that if he behaves, he won't be mistreated. So we've got bigotry and hatred on one side versus compassion on tolerance on the other. And that's usually the rule between the two different philosophies, unless they're trying to show some exception to the trend. I was like, just trying know, to think, this- as you said that, like I'm trying to think of any World War II story I can think of where a German showed compassion or is portrayed as showing compassion. Um, non-Nazi, the- non-military Germans show up. The um, Pianist, have you ever seen that movie? It's been a long time. Well, there was like a German who hid him away and gave him food and stuff towards the end of the war. Right. And that's one of the things that sometimes gets glossed over with World War II talk is that a lot of the civilian population of Germany was very displeased with the Nazi regime. Sure. But even like, I can't imagine that every Nazi soldier is like brainwashed into hatred mode. Like none of them ever didn't want to kill somebody. Yeah. We don't get that story very much, do we? I mean, um, in fact, we get kind of the opposite with like the sound of music. Mm-hmm. We have the boy who actually is a very nice boy mm-hmm. until he becomes a Nazi soldier and then he turns into an asshole. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> it's like you put on that swastika and suddenly <laughs> every stretch of humanity is gone. And um, 
and I'm not trying to make any commentary on modern day Nazism. I'm just trying to think of, you know, in 1940s, you have people who go to serve their national army doesn't mean that they're true believers of Hitler's, you know, rhetoric. Or maybe started out that way, but as it got worse, like, hey, what are we doing here? Right, you know? right. Disenchanted yeah. with their lot. Right. Um, I did like this guy. I was kind of disappointed that he just kind of dies in a bush and doesn't really contribute much. I was waiting for more, in a way. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause they, he, they es- bring- he escapes and it's like, oh, is this going to be one of those episodes where we learn a, a moral or something? And instead he just dies and goes, well, I can point you in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fury has a Tarzan moment on page 18. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I feel like we were just talking about Tarzan. Oh, because of Kazar. Yeah. We were just talking about Tarzan. Which was the episode that came out today. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. It was a fun issue, but, you know, I don't know what to say about it. We got to see Lady What's-Her-Face. Yeah. My note is, hey, remember Pamela? (laughs) Right. Um, one of the aspects, one more aspect about the, the questionable depiction of the, uh, of the native people here is the way they speak. Um, and this is, this is not just Stanley. This is a trope of storytelling that is problematic because they have very stilted language. Mm-hmm. So either they're speaking English to each other for no reason because they're in their homeland with their home language they should be speaking, but either they're speaking English to each other and they're not fluent or they're speaking their native language to each other and it's being translated into stilted English, which is not good. <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that kind of thing. Like, because, you know, it could also just be that they talk differently than we do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know where how that works exactly. Because, like, they're obviously – because anytime it's someone's native or whatever, they have to say, like, here's a great example. His voice is loud like hyena and his words thin like morning mist. Now, is he really – He's just thinking there. So that's got to be his own language, right? It's a thought bubble. Right. And so in your so, own language, the words are going to sound fluid and make sense and not be stilted. Right. I'm trying to remember just, like if Dances with Wolves, because they had a lot of, you know, Native American language in that movie, but then it'd be subtitled. It's like, did we get that same thing, like stilted translations or did they do a better job? That's a I really good question. There's a we uh, reference to that film was kind of one of our on, you know, running jokes in our family. That is all I have to say. Right. <laughs> they definitely did stuff like that. Like they worded things differently than we do, which makes and put, sense. And putting things in like a formal register or a maybe not. I mean, that's different than like leaving the words out of the language be, to make it sound yeah. like it's not being spoken well. Right. Right. Me run, you you walk or whatever. Right. Um, right. Um I also forgot to mention that the mascot Rootin made a little tiny appearance on page 20. So he's still around. Our two mascots. Yeah, he's still around. Bucky and Rootin. Um, but he's not doing anything. But it's interesting that he exists still. Yes. The uh, the ending caption says that tragedy is going to strike next issue. Do you want to oh. make a prediction on who's going to die? It's probably Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's going to be a fake out? Nick Fury or Dum Dum? No. Okay, so assuming it's not Nick Fury or Dum Dum, because we know they're alive later. If you were to make a guess on who's going to die, who would you pick? Well, how about Gabe, just to be racist about it? That's the only – I have no other idea. Because <laughs> kill the black guy, right? That's the trick. Right? Just, just kill the black guy. I don't know. Okay, Percy? okay. I don't know. I have no reason to guess any of them because there's no hint, really. Well, that's fine. I just wanted to I, – I know who it is, of course, okay. but I, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, 
put a guess on the record here. Well, I didn't even know necessarily anybody was going to die. So, geez, you just spoiled it for everybody. That's okay. Oh, I thought it said. Oh, does it say that or does it just say tragedy? Tragedy could be like he lost his mother. It could be. Let's get the caption. Oh, no, in front it does of me. say another life. It just takes still another life. We'll see you then. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily mean the howlers. What if Lady Pamela dies? Oh, no. What if Mascot Rootin dies? Guess we'll find out. Stay tuned, yes, we kids. Yes, we'll find out. In six episodes or something. Uh, nine-ish, nine. I think. Nine. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. It's nine, ep- nine issues. It's three episodes. Episode 87. Okay. All righty. So, Strange Tales? Strange Tales. How many more of these we got? Um, this is the anti-penultimate torch thing story. So we got two more after this. Oh, is this the third to the last? All 132. Right. And then we have 133, 134. And issue 135 starts a new series. Well, this one's awesome because I'm looking at the cover right now and completely drawing a blank as to what happens, even though I've read it. So I'm glad you have to summarize it. And I'll hopefully remember as you go. Um, I will definitely be editing out all of the gaps as I try to remember. <laughs> What space trap? There was a space trap? There okay. was a space trap. Where do you see the human torch and the ever-loving thing caught in the sinister space trap? And see Doctor Strange face-to-face at last with Baron Mordo. That sometimes, one I remember. Sometimes, kids, we have gaps in our recording schedules. And so it's been just a little while since I read this. Because I didn't want to get behind on my reading, right? So, right. Um, the human torch and the ever-loving thing face a sinister space trap. Um, edited with Reckless Abandoned by Stan Lee. Oh, so he's not even writing this one. Oh. Written with Daring Bravado by Larry Ivy. I had to look I, him up. I've never heard of him before. Drawn we, with Brash. What's that? I'm sorry. Have we had a non-written Stan Lee one already? Yeah. Early on, like Larry Lieber would write stuff. Oh, that's right. Larry Lieber. But as we go forward, Stan Lee as editor and someone else as writer does become more and more common. Mm-hmm. So... um I didn't think he was already starting to back off on his writing chores, but that's, this might be the beginning of that trend. I'm just looking up to see who Larry Ivy is in Mike's amazing world of various comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mike has Stan Lee listed as the writer on this one, so never mind. That happens sometimes. Yeah. This issue is going to get reprinted in Daredevil 81 for no reason whatsoever. Oh, okay. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so... Drawn with Brash Impetuosity by Bob Powell, inked with Reckless Vigor by M. DeMeo, that's Mickey DeMeo or Mike DeMeo, and lettered with a soggy penpoint by Sam Rosen. It looks like Larry Ivy, he has credited as just doing like books like Creeper and Eerie, so he was a horror writer. Okay, okay. Until he did this. Um, so... The Fantastic Four are doing some stuff with this big old beam while Reed talks to a random scientist guy who is telling them that they're about to launch some giant space magnets into space that will help keep the satellites in correct orbit. That is not how orbit works. Um, <laughs> space is big, folks. The Earth is freaking huge. You're not going to just put some giant magnets in space to keep our satellites. No, 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 no. But whatever, whatever. So... One of the project designers, Professor Jack, has been classified as a security risk. They think he might tamper with the space magnets. So um, Torch and Thing decide they're going to go check it out. And Torch is like, oh, no, I'm 20 minutes late for my date with Dory. If she finds out I forgot, I'll get a worse clobber than Walnut Face ever thought of giving out. But he'll be back as soon as he explains. So he goes and sees Dory. He's like, um, I, I, I got to go. It's, it's really important. She's like, okay. 
fine. I won't be mad if you promise to be on time for the game. And he's like, well, um, I might not be on time for the game. She's like, fine. It's no use. Don't try to see me again. And she runs off crying because Johnny is always bailing on their dates. She never gets to spend any time with her boyfriend. Meanwhile, the um, Professor Jack is making plans and he has an assistant, Doug Brown, who's going to help him on the project. This is actually Johnny Storm in disguise. Johnny is infiltrating this project to find out what's really going on. Um, Professor Jack leaves him behind and Johnny like melts stuff, like <laughs> melts down walls to figure out what's going on behind the walls. And he finds some big old, you know, mechanical arms and stuff. And so he then welds all the walls back into place completely perfectly so that no one will be the wiser. And when Professor Jack comes back, um, they decide to go calibrate the equipment. Then Dory goes to the thing and tells him about how she got mad at Johnny and how she didn't really mean it. And she'd like him to talk to him. So the thing's going to go find Johnny. He goes to the NASA lab where Professor Jack and Johnny are working. Johnny's going to drive a truck for the professor. Professor, though, um, realizes that Johnny is not really supposed to be helping him. So he, like, rigs this t water tower to, like, fall over on Johnny's truck. The thing jumps into the room, into, into the way, and catches the water tower uh, he's dressed in a trench coat, so no one can see he's the thing. Everyone's out to see if he's okay, and the thing's like, uh, yeah, we're fine. I'm not really an orange monster. I'm just going to go hide over here. Um, there's shenanigans, and ultimately the uh, space pod that is supposed to go and test and mess with the magnets, Johnny gets on it to go up into space and launch the magnets. Um, the thing tries to stop Professor Jack because Jack by this time realizes that, that things are um, shady, that his assistant is really the torch, that the guy who helped him is really the thing. And so he's trying to mess things up from the ground. Uh, the thing messes up what he's trying to mess up, but the pod that the torch is in actually gets blown up. He has to turn into um, the torch to like fly back to Earth. Um, stuff happens and they beat the scientist. There's this one really cute image of the torch and the thing hugging each other and laughing about how they are both alive at the end. And the rogue scientist gets arrested and Doris and Johnny have a loving reunion. And she tells him to tell her all about his adventures today as a superhero because she's trying to validate his life. And his response... Boy, if the day ever comes when I can understand chicks, then I'll really start worrying. <laughs> wah, wah. So that, yeah. pa that panel where they're hugging each other because they're both alive and they thought they were dead is like makes the whole story really worth it because it's adorable. It's super cute. Yeah, it's great. But otherwise, we've never seen them so happy to be with each other. <laughs> otherwise, I've just totally forgot about the story already. Uh, it's interesting. The little old man that talks to Reed in the beginning that starts this whole shenanigans is from NASA. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we've already had them talk about NASA before. And I always think like NASA must be a whole different ball of wax in the Marvel universe because he's this guy from NASA is talking to Reed Richards, who's like conquered the moon and met Uatu, you know? Right. Like, is that do they get notes from Reed? Do they get the benefit of his technology? Because he makes all this stuff, apparently, and makes money with it. And I don't know. He's talked about, uh, 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 you know writing things down before. So I just wonder like how much influence do people like Reed and Tony and so forth have on NASA? You know what I it's, mean? 
Yeah, because you want to you make you want to wonder how the presence of superheroes is affecting the real world. I mean, we have aliens, have, right? You have universes like Watchmen and the Image Universe. They're like, yeah, they totally affected the world. History was changed as a result, and uh-huh. here's what's going on now. Whereas here, it's like. The presence of the Fantastic Four and what Reed Richards has been doing should be Earth-changing. Uh-huh. But it's not. <laughs> no. They try and keep our Earth the same and then just plant the superheroes in it. Yeah. But yeah. everything – but history kind of unfolds the way it did for us or is for us. I was thinking at the beginning of this story, has it been a really long time since we were in Glenville? Because I feel like we used to start stories in Glenville all the time, and now we're starting stories in the Fantastic Four headquarters. I think we That's, just had one. Oh, we had – weren't they in Glenville in the Fantastic Four recently, like where they thought they were all brainwashed and fighting each other or something like that? Um, and we commented on the fact that we hadn't seen Glenville in a really long time. Okay. Okay. That sounds right. But see, now that they're engaged and going to be married, they can live together. So we don't need the pretext of them not living together anymore. Right. And since the Torch and the Thing are always teaming up, we don't need the Torch in his bedroom looking at, you know, comic books. Mm-hmm. He, he needs to be able to get to the thing so they can get to the story. So he's just less and less Peter Parker all the time. Less and less of a Superboy. But I got to say, uh, Dory and Betty sure could talk about stuff, except for the part where Dory would confess that Peter's hot and then Betty would hate her. But outside of that, they have a lot of the same complaints, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of neglectful boyfriends. I mean, Peter Peter is not known as Spider-Man to Betty, but still, he's always running out on her and never showing up. And, you know. We don't have the jealousy factor figuring in here. No. Um, well, kind of. But instead of being jealous of other girls, Dory is jealous of his life as a superhero. And she's made Johnny jealous with Peter Parker, just to confuse the issue. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did use that ploy briefly. Mm-hmm. Which was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one piece in this that I had a note on page two. Very lots of panels. But it was panel seven. Um, let's see. Oh God, I know what you're going to say. We don't okay. want the notoriety of a girl astronaut on this job. Right. <laughs> what the hell? Because they have to have the mass right for the ship, so the thing would be too heavy. Mm-hmm. Reed is going to stay on the ground and help administer. They don't want to put Sue on the capsule because of the notoriety of a girl astronaut. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Just to play devil's advocate in a way that I don't really believe. Like, it would be notorious. Like, it fits perfectly into 1965. Like, if there was a 1965 female astronaut, like, that would make the front page. Yeah, yeah. So, if you're trying to keep it on the download, then, yeah, I guess maybe. I don't know if they are, though. I guess they are. That's what he says. But still, just the way he worded it was kind of weird. Um, There's a Next Generation episode of Star Trek towards the end of the series, season six or seven, where Riker's double comes back. It's an episode called Mm -hmm. Second Chances. Thomas Riker. Yeah. Thomas Riker. Um, I think... Season five or six. Anyways, it's called Second Chances. And the woman running the transporter in that episode, which if y'all don't know your Star Trek, oftentimes the transport operator was a way to get some other, you know, actor a guest spot on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman running the transport in that episode was the first African American female in space. Oh, and wow. so she got to be in space for real and she got to be in space on Star Trek. That's awesome. 
Yeah, but we are still in an age, even then in the early 90s, the first black woman astronaut in space. That's a big deal. Um, Of course, this is the era, 1965 is the era where Hidden Figures takes place, which is a movie I still haven't seen, really need to see that. But this idea of women, especially women of color, working for the space um, program and not getting any recognition is, is definitely a big thing. Of course, she's also a member of the Fantastic Four, which is a very public thing. And she's also been on the moon with Reed and Ben and Johnny as an astronaut. Right. Which we is want how the variety they, of a girl up there. <laughs> which is how they got their powers in the first place is she was on that too. So she's been in there, which is more than any other female probably has in 1965, right? Yes. But, Susan Storm has been in space more than any other woman on the planet. Right. But don't put her in this capsule. Right. Anyway. <sighs> anyway. Also, we'd just rather, girl astronaut. Like, put a- like, if you're an astronaut at this point, can we call you a woman? Because, you know, girl astronaut seems weird. Yeah, right? Yeah. Girl astronaut. We'd rather put the high school boy. He's a <laughs> senior in high school, Mike. We'd rather put the high school boy who... I don't know. Doesn't even like to play golf, or I don't. I don't. He he's he's, he's a high school kid rather than boobs. He's not only a high school kid. He's also a notorious hothead. And in his own book, especially anytime there's any sort of a, 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 a thing he's supposed to do that requires maturity, Reed Richards usually chimes in and says, "Oh no, you can't do that." <laughs> and yet, for some reason here, he does not say that. <laughs> right. Right. So. Anyways, does that seal the deal on Strange Tales? Well, on the first half of Strange Tales? I, I think that's all there is, really. Yeah. I don't think this guy comes back yeah. anytime soon. No. I did like the ending with Dory. I like how she, in reaction to her own overreaction, she decides to extend uh, a branch and mm-hmm. show interest in Johnny's superhero life, which is a fantastic choice to make to help mending the relationship and, and making up for her um you know, reaction earlier. And he's like, what am I going to do with this woman? She can't make up her mind. I know. He blew it. Yeah. Uh, misogyny. Okay. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, face-to-face at last with Baron Mordo, the most original, most talked about new series in years, rises to still greater heights of glory in this magnificent Marvel epic. Is he talking about the new series as in this continued story? Um, good question. I don't know what that means. It, I th- I think that's what it is. And also, there's no way they could know what the reader reaction was because it only started in 1.30. This is two months later. They don't have their co- uh, their letters yet. Or are we just going okay. so slow that this just is really new and it doesn't seem new to us? Um, no. Yeah. How many years have we been? How many Doctor Strange years has there been? Doctor Strange's first issue is 110. Uh-huh. So it's 22 issues later. That's, you know, oh. almost two years. Yeah, so that's not new. That's not new. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing he's just really hyping up the continued story with Baron Mordo and Dormammu, or Dormordo, as I said, decided the ship name would be. Um, but I just, I think it's just the classic hyping things up, acting like y'all are excited, even though we haven't actually read your letters yet. I think you, you start counting a new series when the protagonist gets a new red cape. <laughs> The red cape looks good, though. It does. It looks awesome. Though there be many writers, none but Stan Lee could have penned this tale. Though there be many artists, none but Steve Ditko could have drawn this tale. 
Though there be many letterers, none but Artie Simic was available when we needed him. <laughs> is this a is this a pirate story? <laughs> Are there be? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're trying to use the subjunctive, but subjunctive in English is weird. Anyways, um, so in a scene very much like the very first episode of Doctor Strange, um, Stephen Strange is in a hat and trench coat walking through the dark rain. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that guy who was coming to see him that doesn't that looks like Steve Strange but isn't Stephen Strange. Anyways, um, he's walking around and he decides, you know what, my uh, my spirit form might do a better job of finding out what's going on. Oh, he gets to his house and he wants to make sure there are no bad guys in the house. So he just like walks over to an alley and leans up against the wall and exits his body. You know, as one does. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. He goes, uh, his ectoplasmic body goes into his house and finds that there, sure enough, there are minions of Mordo in the house. Uh, in fact, it, the, the guy detects Dr. Strange's presence and starts sending out the crimson bands of Sidorak after Dr. Strange. So Dr. Strange's ectoplasmic form has to juke and jive around to get away from the crimson bands before they capture him. He goes back to his body and walks away from his house because he can't attempt a direct attack. Meanwhile, the spirit demons from Dormammu are still uh, going all over the world trying to find Dr. Strange. Also, the ancient one is still laid up being ministered to by um, a guy who uh, hears him say, I am too weak, too ill, and yet eternity. If only Strange could know of eternity. Uh. So whatever that means, mm-hmm. um, Doctor Strange goes to a costume shop and decides to dress up as a superhero to stop the bad guys who are in his house. He gets a really cheesy costume and goes and infiltrates Doctor Strange's house, pretending to look for Doctor Strange. Hey, who are you? You can't fool me. You're not Doctor Strange. And uh, Mordo's minion is in there. Doctor Strange punches him out and then runs into his, they don't call it the Sanctum Sanctorum yet, but one of his inner rooms where um, the... I don't know, there's this dome. I think this is the one that covers his world and lets him see what else is going on in the world. But the dome was rigged with a trap. When he opens it, it backfires at him. And we change scene to Baron Mordo, who realizes that his trap has succeeded. He has blasted Doctor Strange. And so he takes off um, in a ball of light to go and capture Doctor Strange. Meanwhile, in the dark dimension, Dormammu is thinking about how he can't actually fight Doctor Strange because he made a promise. But once Strange is destroyed, I shall be free of my oath and humanity will fall before me. Meanwhile, the nameless white-haired woman who lives in the dark dimension is talking to her dad, who is actually one of Doctor Strange's chief advisors, not advisors, disciples. And she's thinking about how she really wishes she could help Doctor Strange somehow. Baron Mordo shows up in Strange's house. He actually transports through that dome that Doctor Strange was looking at. He uh, he manifests in the house. They start fighting and shooting um, sp- uh, magic blasts at each other. There's lots of like glowing spheres around their fists that are lancing beams out at them. And they're fighting and Dormammu is watching on the TV. Mordo, stand fast. I'll attack him through you. Let your mind go blank. Dormammu commands. And so the power of Dormammu is channeled through. Even the voice of Dormammu comes out of Baron Mordo's mouth. 
mouth, and Doctor Strange realizes whom he has been fighting through Baron Mordo all this time. But it's too late, because Baron Mordo has won. He blasts through Doctor Strange's shield, and Doctor Strange um, succumbs to the darkness. And um, that's the end of Doctor Strange. Yeah, so much for the new series. It's over. Yeah, it's pretty pretty dramatic climax it's not normal that you like end a series with the bad guy winning and killing the hero i'm trying to think who can like take his place because this is the only magic guy we have isn't it well scarlet witch could beat mordo maybe scarlet witch um not right now but someday brother voodoo we don't have we we don't know what a brother voodoo is yeah we don't know what a brother voodoo is like scarlet witch right now just mostly does jinky spells but eventually she's going to be a little more Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have anybody else. It's really Doctor Strange. So, like, I, I guess, guess Baron Mordo is going to be the Sorcerer Supreme now, right? I guess he's just going to take over the world, and that's it. This it's reminds crazy. me of the end of the um, the Transformers miniseries because the original Transformers miniseries ends with the Autobots almost winning, and then Shockwave comes and blasts them all. Oh, and yeah. like it ends with Shockwave standing over their dead, seemingly dead bodies. He just won, and the next issue has on the cover Shockwave. Riding on the wall, the Transformers are all dead. And that's the cover of the issue. <laughs> yeah. He's crazy powerful in the comic books, if I remember correctly. Um, but um, I, I think is- next issue is going to be – is basically going to be uh, Doctor Strange fist bumping Eternity and Eternity taking over and just killing them all. Wouldn't Could be. be. Cool? But Could it's not going to be. It's not going to be that. Why would Eternity care? Why would Eternity fist bump? Yeah, that too. How can you even fist bump Eternity if you're in Eternity? It doesn't make sense. Right, because like his right. presence is like the entire universe in human form, right? Yeah. Um, this is a Doctor Strange who is, of course, played in the Marvel Universe by Benihana Kumquat. <laughs> and, um, you know, in a later Doctor Strange story, there's the bit at the beginning about how he has to go like spend money or whatever. It's mm-hmm. on page two. I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. I just want to read it for the for the readers. Oh, yeah. He takes a cab to get home. Wow. A dollar tip. Hey, thanks a lot, mister. Mm-hmm. There's a later Doctor Strange story where he like goes off at Wong about how money concerns are beneath him. And Wong should never mention money to him because he's just too dang supernatural to concern himself with it. But Weird. here he's tipping the cabbie. So, of course, he does carry cash. I mean, he was a surgeon. He must have money. You right. Think. But I don't know. How does he make money now? I don't know. And he has to have groceries. He has to eat. Yeah. Unless they just cast food. So it's a little bit odd. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is. So this dude that's guarding his house, is that the same guy that Mordo, like, possessed last issue and was talking through and stuff? Or is this a different superhero-y villain-looking guy? That's he a looks really cool. good question. He does he looks, have a cool, like, fuchsia yeah. look to him, right? He's, he looks like he's a person that we're supposed to care about, but I don't think they give him a name or anything. At first, yeah. I thought it was Mordo in a new outfit, but then it wasn't. I'm just looking up to see uh, who Walla has an appearance in this issue to see if it's him. I mean, he even has a cool like two prong goatee thing going on. Mm-hmm. You don't just give that. You don't just give that to minor characters. That's like a thing. Um, Kaecilius is not listed in the appearances. Okay. Uh, other people are. I don't know which one this is. It could be Demonicus. It could be Hamir. It could be Orini. Probably one of those is Clea's okay. dad. But I don't know who it is. Anyways. All right. Well, he looked cool. Maybe we'll see him again. But he got knocked mm-hmm. out. So He did. He did get knocked out. Um, you said her dad is a disciple of Doctor Strange. I'm sorry. Disciple of Dormammu. Did I say the wrong thing earlier? Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Like, how'd that work? But that makes way more sense. Okay. 
Yeah, if, if I misspoke mind. earlier, then yes, Clea's dad is a disciple of Dormammu in the dark dimension where they live. Gotcha, because that's what I was going to say. They live there, so how could he be a disciple of Doctor Strange? But maybe you did say Dormammu, and I was just hearing Doctor Strange. Anyway, cleared up. Yes, Clea eared up. Clea eared up. She's back. Hopefully she shows up more. That's cool. How do people in the Marvel Universe get their hair to do that? Like stand up in the little cur- like like Quicksilver does it, and I think Magneto does it, and Clea does it. How do they get their hair to stand up like that? Wolverine, yeah, I don't know. Kirby gel, I guess. Well, this I is, guess this is lots dip- of product. this is Ditko um, dip or something. I don't know. Ditko dip. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, we got the first mention of what kind of characterizes this arc, the search for eternity. Oh, yeah. Page four. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what eternity is. I mean, we know, but. I know, but I am interested in how that plays out because as far as I'm concerned, eternity wouldn't care about any of this stuff. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But maybe he would because Dormammu is trying to break in, which might be against rules or something. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, the Dark Dimension trying to infiltrate the human world, that might be something that's against the rules. But is the Dark Dimension's part of Eternity? Because I don't know what his scope is exactly. Yeah, I, I, I would assume he's everything is a part of him. But you're right, the Dark Dimension might be a separate separate deal. Yeah. Um, I thought the stuff with Doctor Strange putting on a costume was hilarious. That I mean, it's cheesy, awesome. but it's really fun. Oh, yeah. That was way funny. And he, again, he re- relies on you know, physical fighting to get by. Cause it's the third issue in a row where he's done some martial artsy stuff. So he's a tough fella, this doctor. Um, on page eight, they're fighting and the way Mordo is talking. He's trying to take full credit because of course his goal all this time has been to beat Dr. Strange. So of course he's going to pretend to be doing it all on his own with his own power. Mm-hmm. But that panel where like Dormammu takes over is pretty dang awesome. Mm-hmm. That's like a, over over half the page of Dormammu or uh, Mordo via Dormammu or vice versa, like knocking standing his, over Doctor Strange. Yeah, sta- knocking him to the ground and very cool Ditko-y, uh way of having Doctor Strange sort of swirl into the oblivion or whatever. We'll see what happens. Question mark even. Dun dun. dun. But yeah, so this is a pretty fun installment of uh-huh. this ongoing saga. But I like I don't, it. I, I, it's only ten pages, so there's not a whole lot to say. Yeah, but more is happening in this one. And the last one seemed like it was kind of a repeat. This one seemed like we're moving forward now. He's back home. He's getting defeated. Something's going to happen. Something is definitely going to happen next time. Some sort of tale of suspense. So, <laughs> speaking of, I get what I think is the best book of the night. But, you know, that's subjective. Tales of Suspense number 65 featuring both Iron Man and Captain America. At long last, enter the Red Skull and you'll thrill to the battle of the Titans when the new Iron Man fights the old Iron Man. What? Both of those ideas grab me. Right. Like, if I saw this cover, I'd be like, what? Yes. Exactly. Um, What's so, a red skull? <laughs> maybe you would say that, but maybe you wouldn't because it was only, you know, 20 years ago. But right. um, he's a Nazi. We know that. Because the swastika on his chest. They weren't shy about the swastika thing, I guess, in 65. All right. Iron Man is first, of course, as always, or at least as always so far. I don't know if that ever changes. But When Titans Clash, story by Marvel's Marius Marcher, Stan Lee, art by Marvel's most amiable artist, Don Heck, 
inking by Marvel's dizziest delineator, Mickey DeMeo. What? And lettering by Marvel's persnippity pen pusher, Sam Rosen. Persnippity? Wow. Persnippity. Okay. All right. So we open with Tony looking at his friends, Pepper and Happy. And he's at this point now where he thinks Pepper and Happy love each other, but Pepper is resisting because she also still loves Tony. So he's like, I can't have her love me because I'm Iron Man and also I'll probably be dead any day now because of this heart fret, you know, thing that's slicing my heart open. All these, you know, whatever. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. He's thinking to himself, I'm going to leave. And then when they're alone and she doesn't think about me anymore, they'll be engaged. So he says, I'm off to a top secret Midwestern rocket factory convention. Uh, I'll see you guys in, you know, three years or something. And Pepper's like, oh, I'll go with you. And he's like, nah, sorry. It's men only. And and Happy's like, well, I'll drive. He's like, no, I don't want you to. If I did, I'd ask. And he storms off because he's kind of grumpy about the whole thing. But at the same time, he's trying to distance himself from his friends. And they're like, wow, he's kind of weird. Anyway, let's go back to being in love. So cuts to the uh, Midwestern Rocket Factory. And everybody's all excited that Tony Stark actually showed up. Tony Stark himself. And they're testing this new thing that Tony made where essentially it's like a mini rocket that will latch on to somebody else's rocket or missile, like an invade- a country that shoots one at us. And then you can kind of take it over, like by a remote control, and fly it back to the ground safely and stuff. So it's kind of cool. Very Tony Starky. But here's something Tony didn't do right. When he left and stormed off and was all dramatic about it, he forgot to take a suitcase with his armor. Because back home, this Otis-looking dude, whose name I don't know, but whatever, he's a criminal. is not Brett- Otis. Yeah, he looks like Otis. He's got the hat and the jacket and stuff. And he... um breaks into uh, 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 the main factory looking for, you know, like Tony Stark designs he can steal and sell to the highest bidder or something. And he comes across this suitcase and he opens it. And inside the suit starts, you know, spranging open. And he's just like, oh, my God, this is a suit of armor. And he puts it on and he starts to figure it out, you know, kind of clumsily. But he figures out how to operate it and stuff. Um so he puts on the helmet and he just walks out with it because nobody knows who Iron Man is anyway. So the security guards are like, night, Iron Man. And he's like, night. So <laughs> he goes back to like a barn and tries to figure things out more. Mostly he destroys the barn. But eventually he figures it out kind of enough to where he can start robbing banks, which he does. Which, of course, makes the front page because bank falls Easy prey to Iron Man, Iron Man on crime spree, blah, blah, blah. This, of course, gets back to Tony, and he's like, oh, yeah, I knew I forgot something. So he goes my, back home. My multi-million dollar armored clothing. That I, I bring that. everywhere. Yeah. So he goes back home, uh, much to Pepper and, and what's his happy surprise, but he just storms right past them. And he goes, and he finds his old armor. Remember that, kids? The armor that he started out with that was gray, and then he painted gold. Yeah, that armor. So he suits up with that, old school week. Um, and he goes out and he takes over a frequency that only an iron armor could hear. So Otis hears it as he's like sitting on bags of money. And it says, my name's Tony Stark. You have my armor. You better come to such and such place and fight me or I'm going to hunt you for the rest of your life. Well, he doesn't like the sound of that. So he decides, you know what, I'll go. I'll go find him. And they get into a fight. It's at Stark's factory. Um Unfortunately, the new armor that Otis has is, of course, better 
than the old armor that Tony has. Of course, Tony also has the advantage of knowing both armors better. So they get into like a, a scrap where basically they're kind of swatting each other with big metal pipes and stuff. Um, at some point, Otis Iron Man wraps uh, Tony Iron Man up in this pipe and he's about to like drop a huge metal something or other on top of him. Which he does, but the one thing that's cool about the old iron armor is that it's really, really, really tough. It's like a tank, so it's a, he's okay. They get out, they get into some fist fights. Um, the cops are called as they're fighting. Tony starts running low on energy, which sort of inspires Otis Iron Man to pummel on him, which gives Iron Man or Tony the idea to let him pummel on him. So basically, he's doing a rope a dope until. Otis Iron Man runs out of energy. And then he's like, well, that's okay. I know about this whole plug thing. So he goes to plug in, but Iron Man had already turned off the energy for the building. So now he has nowhere to plug in. Meanwhile, Iron Man, as he was taking those punches, was also not moving much. So he that allowed him to like uh, uh, recharge a little bit or just enough anyway to put uh, Otis Iron Man in a chokehold and finish him off by cutting off his master output switch because he knows where it is because he's Iron Man. So he turns off the armor, takes off the helmet. He braces himself for Otis to basically reveal to the world that Iron Man is Tony Stark. But Otis has like a nervous breakdown from all the excitement. And he just basically is carted away by the police babbling, I'm Iron Man, I'm Iron Man, and never says anything about Tony. Whether that you know backfires later, I guess we'll find out. But meanwhile... Uh, cuts back to Tony, Pepper, and Happy, and Happy's going on about how great Iron Man is, and boy, he must be the luckiest man in the world, and then Tony walks away cap sad because he's not the luckiest man in the world. Right. The end. They reversed it on me. I really thought that uh, uh, the golden armor was going to be the bad guy. Mm, the one that got stolen was the old armor. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, Tony has to wear the old armor. That's cool. But, like... That's this story concept we have here of somebody stealing his armor and him having to fight back and get it back. Mm-hmm. That feels so Iron Man. Very, yeah. Like it feels like the most Iron Man story concept we've had so far in this book. Well, there was that little that little um, story arc called like I don't know Armor Wars or something that some people think <laughs> is popular. Right, that was kind of the same concept. Yeah. Armor yeah, Wars which is too. probably why this feels so like you know intrinsic and classic and stuff. Yeah, it is really fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the way that Tony is handling his friendships right now, but he's never been accused of being the most socially advanced guy in the world. So he is always mean to Happy when he's right? thinking about Pepper, which is really jerky. Like at some point, I want him to be nice to Happy, but he never is. And. You know, Happy volunteers to drive him somewhere, and he's like, don't volunteer. If I want you to drive me, I'll ask. And I'm like, but when have you ever asked? Yeah, and that's his job. That's theoretically why he stands around all the time. Right. But honestly, I mean, okay, so between issues, time passes and stuff happens, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But have we have we ever seen Happy Hogan drive Tony somewhere on page? <laughs> Wasn't his like his first appearance when he looked more like a boxer, I think he did, but I don't know. Yeah, like like the very first time whenever he was made the chauffeur, he got to be a chauffeur. Mm-hmm. But since but, then, it's like never gets to drive him. Yeah, and he, they also never act friendly. Or Tony always acts like a jerk, and Happy always wonders what's bothering the boss. What's bothering him? The same thing's but, bothering him every day, Pinky. It's like at some point they become friends. I think 
but I guess not for a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The whole suitcase, leaving behind the suitcase thing was pretty bonkers, although you could say he was just super upset and it was last minute and he just didn't think about it. But that's still crazy, kind of. You know, sometimes when you're packing really quickly, you forget your phone or something. You forget your chargers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> or something like that. Um, okay, so here's another nitpick. Because I, I do like this story, so I don't want to focus mm-hmm. on nitpicks. But this reminds me of Iron Man 2 also. You know how, like... Tony's whole deal is that he has a chest plate on that he can't take off, and that's what powers his suit. Right. Otis doesn't have a chest plate. Why is there a chest plate in the suitcase? Why does he have a chest plate? And, and oh, that, that's a good call. And that makes me think of Iron Man 2, because in Iron Man 2, one of the premises is that he is slowly dying because the chest plate that is powering the armor is also poisoning him every time he uses the armor because it's, you know, bad for his blood or something. This whatever's inside the chest plate. But I'm thinking, but but Rhodes has a war machine that he doesn't have to have a chest plate inserted inside his body to power. So why can't Tony just wear an external yes. power like Rhodes does, you know? Like Rhodes does. So it's the same thing. It's like it's kind of inconsistent on how Iron Man powers his stuff. But Well, I, I, I've never accused Stan Lee of being inconsistent in his storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, right. But – uh that's an that's a really interesting point about the Iron Man two story concept because I never thought of that before. That's funny. But in this case, there's just he should uh, he should be missing the chess piece. I feel like, but otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, should. it was a cool. It was funny. I like the way he just walks out. That was kind of hilarious. Uh, and it would work because that's how Tony has set it up. There's no credentials for this Iron Man character. And there's the part where um, they're like they have such an honor to do Tony Stark's missile test. Uh huh. And I'm kind of like, okay, if the big boss of the entire company comes to your like high tension test of new weaponized materials, mm-hmm. instead of, oh, what an honor, wouldn't it be, oh, I hope I don't mess this up in front of the boss? Right. <laughs> like, I would be super anxiety man at this point. <laughs> Except the boss did invent it, right? Or did somebody else invent it? I don't know. No, he he invented it, but it's yeah. like, but he, that might even be more so. Now you're you're testing the boss's own invention in front of him, and you don't yeah. want to mess it up. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe not everyone else is as anxious about that sort of thing as I am. But it's yeah. I liked the invention because a lot of times it's, they're weird inventions. Like that one time, he just created a disintegrator ray that just disintegrates anything you pointed at. And it's like okay, that's weird. But this one is like actually seems kind of useful. Like remote control taking over an invading missile. Is kind of a cool idea, but definitely better than um, better than magic science, I guess. There's a bit on page six. <clears throat> I just had a coughing fit off mic, so excuse me for a second. Um, <laughs> there's a bit on page six with um, where Tony says that the other Avengers are scattered around the country, mm. so only old Iron Man has a necessary power. Uh huh. So comments like this make me wish that there were actually events and other stories that he was referring to. Yeah, but there's not, um, right? There's not. Because you know me, I'm a continuity nut. The first thing I did was go and get the other books <laughs> and, and see what was, was going on. And he was in all of them. Um, Tony was in all of them? Yeah, in all the Avengers books lately. Yeah, he's in the Avengers books, but I went to go get their solo books to see what they were up to. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, Thor's off on Asgard, maybe. Mm-hmm. And... Except that that is set a little bit later in the timeline because that happens oh. after Avengers 15 and 16. Well, maybe this does too. It, it might. You're right. It might. 
Okay. I, I looked at both the comics that were on the stands at this time and the ones that, according to timelines, how the continuity fell out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've got those official Marvel Index books that have all the continuity all lined up. And uh, we're not yet to the end of Iron Man's tenure with the Avengers. So Thor has not yet gone off to the trial of the gods. Captain America is living in Avengers Mansion and he's not having any present day solo stories. The only cap we're getting in present day right now is in the Avengers. Right. Giant Man and Wasp are pretty much just doing their status quo stuff. Yeah. And the Madame Macabre uh, adventure is roughly contemporary to this. And that was in country. Um, but there was one interesting tidbit of continuity mm-hmm. in the uh, in the timeline. The first chapter of the S.H.I.E.L.D. series has Tony Stark in it. Mm-hmm. It's a couple months away publication wise Mm -hmm. but according to marvel's official timeline it's already happened so shield is already in the marvel universe at this point this is one of those stories you could shuffle around a little bit to try and make it work with that yeah yeah you could because there's not really a whole lot going on here no as long as tony is still iron man it could fit anywhere kind of right um so i've always thought the timelines are subjective the official one is only one possible timeline it's not the only possible timeline but yeah also, the idea that the Avengers are scattered and cannot be assembled is somewhat disconcerting because, you know, that's not a very effective team, I guess. <laughs> what if the Masters of Evil struck today? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They're all busy. It's like there's no way to contact them. Well, it's not their regular meeting day. So if it's not their regular <laughs> meeting day, then they can't fight the greatest threats right. that no individual hero can fight alone. This is things that Fantastic Four and X-Men do not have to deal with, I guess. <laughs> um, I mentioned back whenever Steve Ditko gave us the new armor, the new red and gold armor. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that the old armor was so clunky is right. just not something that they really harped on when that was his armor. Well, it was like a difference in artist styles, right? Like mm-hmm. Kirby made the gray gold armor look really tank-like. And then I think Ditko came along... I believe he drew it at least once and it looked really slim. And then he designed this orange yellow thing to also look slim. So it was like, I don't think he was making a statement like we went from big and clunky to slimming. It was more like, this is my interpretation of how the armor looks is it's always been slimming. And now, and now in Don Heck, I do feel like he's trying to bring it back to looking a little more tank like right versus Otis, Tony Stark or Otis Iron Man's more, Svelte look. So. And, you know, Tony went through that period where he had those pods that had to power the new armor. So mm-hmm. even though the armor is not as clunky, it still needs extra power. I don't know. I think in the future, like anytime they flash back to this armor, it's supposed to be big and clunky and, um, you know, outdated looking. But I also think like if Kirby had still been on the, still been on the book and designed this orange and yellow armor, it also would have been clunky. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, although you know, I'm thinking back to like the very first story or two of Iron Man, and like like him stomping and clunking and plodding, and that armor was kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then in the second issue, they're like, he's actually kind of scary, and being golden and shiny might make him look less scary. Yeah. So maybe he is supposed to be kind of big, and mm-hmm. he just handled it well. I'm cool with that. I like the idea of the first one being a little clunky. I thought the fight scene in this was really, really great. Yeah, it's fun. And Iron Man has a secret off switch, just like Data. See, I like, I always like that about, like, if you're going to steal Tony's armor, you better be prepared to fight Tony, and he's going to know more about his armor than you do. So that's always the advantage, 
even though mm-hmm. even though theoretically Tony is in a, a less powerful armor, he's still going to win. Right. Because he's the armor guy, and it's his armor. So he's going to know where he the switch is. He knows his technology. Right. I like and, that. You know, in, a, in a later story, he'll be able to like send certain electromagnetic energies that are like it's sensitive to or something, and only he knows the weakness. But right now, it's the 60s. So where's the off switch? I even like that he had his own radio frequency that only Otis could hear. That was kind of cool. That was pretty neat, knowing what his um, his speakers can tune into automatically. Yeah, that was fun. So yeah, fun little Iron Man, uh, Iron Man adventure. Iron Man versus Iron Man. I liked it. All right, on to the next because now we have the Red Skull strikes the Silver Age debut of the Red Skull by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. I mean Stanley and Jack Kirby, inking by <laughs> Chick Stone and lettering by Sam Rosen. And this is, as the other ones have been, a retelling or redrawing, but basically the same telling of a Golden Age story. So the first Red Skull appearance, um, which we may have all read before, but I don't think we've covered on this show because we didn't do that one. Um, Nope. We got Private Steve Rogers and mascot Bucky Barnes dropping off – is he a major? Yeah, Major Croy. He's dropping off Major Croy to his home, I guess. And they're like, are you sure you want us to just leave you here all alone? It looks kind of like a creepy neighborhood. He's like, yeah, but I uh, live here, so it's okay. Okay, so then they leave. And as he's reading a book and smoking a pipe, this creepy-looking dude crawls through the window vampiric-like with a red skull um, and a green jumpsuit with a big old swastika on it. He – the guy's like, who the blazes are you? And he's like, I'm – he doesn't actually say who he is, but he's obviously the red skull. He knocks him – on the back of the head, and he um, um, opens up this capsule that he has that emits this vapor, and apparently the vapor wipes your brain for you know the last two months. So basically, he's a sa- he's sabotaging the major's memories and ability to uh, you know fight Nazis, I guess, or the plans mm-hmm. that he's come up with. Anyway, it cuts to like this big investigation, and everybody looking around for the saboteur and clues, and they're grilling steve and he's like yeah i literally just dropped him off like five minutes ago or whatever and so that makes steve think well if he's if we just dropped him off maybe this red skull guy's still around so when no one's looking he and bucky turn to captain america and bucky and they kind of run around the city kirby style like looking for trouble bucky finds a bunch of hoods robbing a bank so he follows them back to the hideout the hoods are Offering up the money to the Red Skull, who's standing in the center of the room like a you know god or something, and with his fists on his hips. Um, but as Bucky is spying, one of the hoods sneaks up from him behind him and knocks him down. A bunch of Nazis come out and grab him. As he's getting pulled inside, he yells, "Cap, Cap!" So maybe that's how. Uh, in five seconds or so, before they can interrogate Bucky, there's a knock on the door, and the Red Skull's like. Don't open that. But the dude opens it and he gets punched in the face by Captain America. And Captain America dogpiles on all of them because uh, he's a one-man army. And he beats him up with his shield. And then Bucky joins into the fun. And pretty much they're all destroyed except for the Red Skull because he always has an escape plan. And there is a secret wall that he runs away behind. Cap tries to follow him, but it's a big steel door that he can't knock down. So, Red Skull gets away, but they got the cash and they got the Nazis. Anyway, we cut to uh, Steve Rogers back on base, uh, you know, doing one of those one, two, three, four formation things. They are going to show off the latest bomber that was created by a guy named Maxon, who is there to watch from Maxon Aircraft Corporation. It's a big deal. As they're watching, though, the bomber 
uh, the wing explodes, it looks like, and much to Steve's horror, uh, the pilots don't get out and the bomber crashes and everybody dies and the general's like distraught, the soldiers are distraught, and Maxon's like, oh man, there goes my reputation. So Steve's like, well, that was a weird reaction. All you care about is your reputation? Um, and he's talking to Bucky about that and Bucky's like, maybe we should look into that. Maxon guy and he's like yeah you know what I'll do I'll go check the, I'll go talk to the general as Captain America and get more information about him but when they get there to the general's house uh, he's dead and they're like wow who killed him but before they can figure that out they hear a scream in another part of the house so they rush over there and they see the red skull about to kill the housekeeper so hey good timing they get into a fight with the red skull they easily beat him up because he's just the red skull they unmask him and <gasps> It's Maxon, the aircraft tycoon. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but he gets away because as they're shocked that it's Maxon, Maxon like leaps up and karate chops Bucky and leaps through a window as two of his goons like pull Tommy guns and shoot at Cap and Bucky and they have to roll out of the way. By the time they get back up from the stream of bullets, the car's rushing away and it's gone. No, but they find that the Red Skull dropped his notepad and on the notepad is a list of four names, two of which are scratched out. Major Croy, General Curtis, because they're taken care of. And the next two that aren't taken care of yet are Captain America and Bucky. Dun, dun, dun. The end. So, yeah, this is, uh, like you said, it's basically a retelling of the Golden Age story. But there are some interesting differences that we yeah. can talk about as we go through it. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all is that... Red Skull totally killed Major Croy in the uh, scene with him. Didn't just knock him out for amnesia's sake or whatever. Because, um, like, the first Red Skull story, he had like that. He would play. Dun, 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 dun. Like, he would play that music while he was, like, killing you. And he would stare into your eyes. Look into the face of death. And you thought that he was killing just by, like, staring into your eyes. But he actually had this, like... A poison needle he would like stick people with. Yeah, that was way cooler. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought he killed them, but I forgot. Yeah, there was like that that whole like hypnosis Jack Kirby weirdness that really made him creepy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the Golden Age, and now he's just like making them forget, which is not really as scary. And he was not decked out in a swastika in the original. He had um, a different look to him. Um, I think. That with World War II being an actual thing, putting swastikas on people who weren't direct Nazi employees. And at this point, you didn't know he was a direct Nazi employee. Um, this wasn't done as much. Well, yeah, when Cap Comics number one came out, there was still a lot of people who were on the fence about even wanting to be involved and stuff. So they probably, right. weren't, they probably weren't as clear cut as to what villainy was, you know, German villainy was back then. And now they're fine with it. Just branding everybody with a swastika if you're a Nazi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, there's an interesting note here at the beginning. It says the comment, there's a comment about writing this story like they did back then. Mm -hmm. So it had me curious. I pulled out Captain America Comics number one. You know, I have my mint issue that's, you know. Sure, as we all do. Right. Yeah, right. There are a number of panels that were definitely used as reference for this, mm -hmm. but the script bears no resemblance. Oh, Stanley really? did not lift anything from Joe Simon's script. It's all his own stuff. I mean, it's the same story. The same basic beats happen. But um, 
the whole like how we did it back then thing, I do not know what that's supposed to mean except hype. Hype and just borrowing the story from the 40s, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess at least if he's going to give himself some writing credit, he ought to do some writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he should. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read these side by side, but I did glance at the other one and like Red Skull was much creepier in the Golden Age. like Very creepy. The way his mask looked even and just the way he handled everything was – but on the other hand, I do love – the whole 60s Kirby style. So, yeah, this is great art. Really fun, too. And, of course, Cap's been back a year at this point. It was the beginning of 1964 whenever he was revived in the Avengers 4. And this is the first that we hear of the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. A new reader might have been thinking that Dr. Zemo was Cap's worst enemy. And instead here we're getting the Red Skull as Cap's worst enemy. So it's like, hmm. And, well, and we're finally getting a villain – from the 40s as opposed to Zemo, who was just made up. Right. We had Sandu and Omar, but they're not coming back. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Actually, side note, the Marvel Superheroes 1966 version of these retellings blend the Sandu and Omar story with this story. Weird. Like, he kills Major Croy while they're at the Sandu and Omar show. Huh. That's interesting. Or or not as kill him, but like, you know, knocks him out or whatever. That's actually not horrible because sometimes I think that Sando and Omar story is much ado about, you know, nothing. Like nothing really happens, you know. It's really quick and easy to read. And- it's a very golden age quirky story. It's kind of yeah. like the, other, the the one that – the only story from Captain America Comics 1 that doesn't get adapted in this run is that chess player guy. <laughs> right. The ferret chess player dude. Yeah. Who has yeah. like little chess pieces of all the people. And Captain America sees that uh-huh. he has chess pieces of all the people. And he's like, oh, look. You've made little chess pieces of all the people. It's super cute. And, and that so, guy was, of course, retconned to be Mole Man's uncle. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, yeah, the other difference with the original in this one, Captain America and Bucky decide to go and investigate, but they decide to split up. Captain America is going to go one way, Bucky's going to go another way, and Bucky mm-hmm. ends up getting knocked out and captured. Mm-hmm. In the original, Cap says, Okay, Bucky, let's put on our costumes. And they put on their costumes, and Cap's like, You stay here. And he runs off and decides to go and do this all on his own. And Bucky's like, what? 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 <laughs> why did I put on my costume? Yeah, why are, you, why are you going off on your own? Fine, I'll go and investigate my own way. And he goes and investigates his own way and gets surprised by a guy and knocked out. And the rest of the story happens pretty much the same from there. You know what else I'm noticing? Maybe I'm wrong, so I'm going to double check real fast. Yeah, they're giving him the wrong color. Bucky's the wrong color in this. What? He's supposed to be blue top, blue trunks, red legs blue uh boots he has red legs yeah not in this though in this he's got blue top red trunks blue legs red boots so like they do it wrong i'm just looking at bucky barnes images right now because i did not realize is that like a golden age versus silver age yeah that's what i mean look up if you have the golden age option you can look at it real fast it's totally it's the opposite just and i don't know if they've been doing that this whole time and i'm just noticing right now because i want to look but that's another coloring thing, which, you know, the Golden Age is not great about anyway. You look at Bucky Barnes images and all you get is Sebastian Stan. Yeah, that's not going to help us. <laughs> I mean, I'll look at Sebastian Stan for a while, but, you know. Right. Um, no, yeah, they did the same thing in the last Tales of Suspense, so I just didn't notice then. They were giving him underwear where before, where in the Golden Age, he was like, his underwear and his top matched 
and it was his legs that were different. Oh, you know what? I can see that in my head. He has like the tunic and, um, uh yeah, trunks are kind of like one single blue piece. You're right. So that's just more like, I think they use that kind of thing to explain the different Buckies and stuff sometimes, even though it's totally, Mm -hmm. total baloney. Speaking of different, this is, of course, not the Red Skull. It's Maxim. Right. Which we're going to find out more about later. This story, just like the first story, there's no reason to think he's not the Red Skull. But what's fun is like, I think anyway, maybe I'm wrong. The real Red Skull actually does debut in the Golden Age at some point. Versus yes. versus these other Caps and Buckies, which are all just retconned later to explain things. Mm-hmm. Like in this case, there actually was two Red Skulls in the Golden Age. Okay, so in the Golden Age, the Red Skull dies at the end of almost every story for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the retconned first real Red Skull story is Captain America 7. That uh-huh. is, is the number that sticks in my head. Yep. Um, I don't know that he is ever in the Golden Age actually named as Johann Schmidt. Yeah, I don't think so either. And then there's also a Red Skull they retconned to explain the 50s presence. Right. That's another Red Skull. Because Johann Schmidt, like Steve Rogers, at the end of the war gets like, suspended in some sort of vapor animation or something like that. So he, he mm-hmm. was never around in the 50s either. So lots okay. of Red Skulls, lots of Caps, lots of Buckies. Good luck figuring that out. Yeah, I just looked it up. And yeah, Bucky, his gloves, pants, and boots match. And that's all red. No, I'm sorry. His glove and pants are red. His boots are blue. And Usually. this one, his boots matches Cap's red boots. Yeah, they're giving him the wonder, the Robin look, sort of. Yeah, weird. So he has red trunks in this. I think I honestly like the Golden Age color scheme better. Yeah, it is better. But anyway. Anyway, it doesn't matter too much. It doesn't matter too much. But yeah, Red Skull, um, he is going to get an origin. He never got one in the Golden Age. So that's going to be new information. And Mm -hmm. I think that's next issue. I think next issue we are... We're leaving behind retellings of Golden Age stories. And we're continuing with new stories set in World War II. But Maxon gets away. They don't follow up on that. Uh, Maxon gets away in this, but I think he died in the original. He, Yeah, he rolled over on his own needle or something. Right. So they're just softening the blow on this one to help him get it to, to well, make it Well, they just don't want story. any death. No, they're really taking the death out of the comics. Which is weird because the first one they retold had Cap load up a raft full of nuclear missiles and pushing it at a submarine. So <laughs> I don't know about nuclear, but yeah, lots of explosives. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I guess they didn't care then, but two issues right. later, suddenly we're all PZ or G rated. Yeah, I guess. Um, I was just going to say the, the plan at this point is that tales of suspense is going to tell Captain America's golden age or world war two career. Mm-hmm. Like their intentions at this point is to take the tales of suspense stories and tell go- and tell World War II stories that lead up to him falling in the ice. Which is and that's cool. how they're going to end it. They're going to take. They were going to tell him how he gets in the ice as the last World War II story. That's a great idea. Yeah, they eventually get bored or something. <laughs> Especially since if you've ever read Captain America Golden Age stories, you definitely have to redo those. Yeah, yeah. To make to make them more like actual war stories. And we do, we get, we get more war, war feeling, still not very warlike because like, we're going to see what kind of stuff he does, but like 
is one of the reasons why the Greymore Castle story that we're going to get to, you know, several issues down the row, kind of conflates in my brain with the Dr. Zemo story, because that's also in a castle. Mm-hmm. Um, where Bucky Barnes, you know, ends up, you know, getting on the plane and dying. And yeah. we're going to see those events in like Avengers, I don't know, 42 or something way down the road. But in my head, those two stories kind of occupy the same space. They feel similar. Well, how many castles can be in World War Two? Come on. Right. All right. Oh, is that our third story? That's it. Our third comic? We're all wow. done. Wrapped up. That's not the end of the month, though, right? No. No, no, no. We still have three more comics next Three episode. more. So we're not doing the end of the month likes and dislikes yet, because there could be some winners still next episode. There could be. Or losers. We've got, we've got our big names next episode. In fact, all of our biggest names, Fantastic Four, Avengers, and Spider-Man, are next episode. Ooh, holy. So that yeah. should be a big one. All right. So um, where can they find us? Or what's our homework or something? Oh, well, speaking of the, the big ones, uh, we have Fantastic Four number 38 next episode where they again go round two with the Frightful Four. Avengers number 15 where they go round, uh, I don't know, three or four at this point with the, uh, what are those guys? Masters of Masters Evil. Masters of Evil. Masters of Evil, Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil. And we have Amazing Spider-Man number 24 where apparently Spider-Man goes mad. I hate I don't that mean, happens. I don't mean angry. I mean crazy. So that's the homework, kids. It's crazy sauce. Okay, so some recent followers for us over on the um, Twitters. We always appreciate people who follow us. We've got the Defenders TV podcast at Defenders Cast. It's the podcast home of Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Daredevil, The Defenders, The Punisher, and Doctor Strange. That's at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We have Julio Cesar Gonzalez at Julio Cesar underscore GP, journalist, uh, writer, filmmaker, and other things I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh-huh. AC Turner Online, award-winning filmmaker, writer, comic book fan, and bon vivant, currently writing the crime horror hybrid comic Frightmare City. We have Simon Die at Simon Die One and Best of Spider Man at Spider Man Files. He just followed us a couple days ago as we're recording this. He just likes to post Spider Man pictures and Spider Man related stuff. And who? Um, he's a he's who doesn't? I say he, they, because I have no idea who this person is. They like to post lots of Spider Man stuff, and they are a relatively new Spider Man account. So yeah, lots I, of good Spider Man stuff over there. I think Spider Man is like our our biggest following, even though obviously we cover everything, but. I feel right. I feel like we had that one time where we had a poll on what our everybody's favorite title was. And it was Spider Man, and I noticed our numbers seem to spike more when it's a Spider Man episode. Mm, so people s- like the Spider episodes. Some people might just be listening to us for Spider Man, which well, is just y- silly. There are worse choices you could make, I guess. But no Daredevil people. Come on, X Men. I want to know out there in Twitter land which one of you is just tuning in for the Human Torch stories. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Who is it? Crickets. Jason, Jason is that you? Tumbleweeds. <laughs> Dr. Spidey, is that you? Okay, I guess Dr. Spidey probably listens to Spider-Man. <laughs> I would hope so, yeah. All right, so um, where is our show located on the internet? I mean, people want to call us sometimes, and not call us, but like email us and stuff. Well, they can't call us yet. That might be interesting, though. But they can write us, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Or if you can't remember that, just go to makearsmarvel.com. There's a form on there you can fill out. That gets us 
to our email also. It's also got all the links to the various places, actually less places now because I've registered us for even more places that I haven't linked. Like hopefully we're just everywhere. If you just type in Make Ours Marvel in your favorite iTunes or your favorite, uh, you know, podcast, whatever, hopefully we show up. If we don't, write us and I'll try and make a show up. But right now, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, I just entered us into Spotify and Pandora. Um, I don't know. Everybody's doing a podcast these days, so I'm trying to keep up with that. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. So Make Ours Marvel is basically what you have to type in. There's also links to our social media, Facebook and Twitter on the website. Because we love whenever you share us out there in social media land, retweet our new episodes, share our Facebook posts, which I've been really bad about posting lately because Twitter is so much easier and faster and mm-hmm. I'm busy. And, um, and and Mark Zuckerberg is just like ruining everything. You know, I, I people are talking about just like leaving Facebook. Mm-hmm. And honestly, r- personally, I feel so much more attached to Twitter Me than too. to Facebook. Yeah. Um, I go to Facebook for like groups and stuff a whole lot more than anything else. So, um, yeah. Share us. Or, you know, if you're not in social media, you can always talk to us, talk about us to your friends. You mm-hmm. could make flyers and go door to door and knock on people's houses and slap and tell them slap bumper stickers on the back of people's cars, whatever. Have you heard of our Lord and Savior Mike Cars Marvel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll make a flyer for you. You guys can print it out. Right, right, right. Um so yeah. I am on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Uh, I am currently this weekend as a recording. I am home alone all weekend putting together the website for my new Transformers podcast. So if you go to tfukpodcast.com, you should see the beginnings of that podcast. In fact, this is coming out after October 31st. So the podcast has launched and will be releasing new episodes um let's see the 31st was the day that it launched what day of the week is that is that thursday because it's going to be weekly after that so it is yeah, thursday. thursday so thursdays for transformers fridays for marvel first of the month for image comics because i have the image comics show at all the pouches on twitter and you can also go to our my scarlet witch tweet blog at let's talk wanda which i just put some new entries for because she's in the x-men 11 which we'll be talking about here in a couple of episodes, but I've already done the reading for. So go check those out. And um, yeah, I guess that's our episode. So have you already covered the story where Soundwave kills everybody? Uh, Shockwave, I have already recorded. Yes, I've recorded my thoughts on that story. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds cool. I I didn't want to launch the podcast. I had a lot of episodes. So I recorded issue 22 of the UK series. Tonight. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. Okay. Well, it's not episode twenty-two. It is. It's like episode seventeen, but it's still a lot of episodes. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um. So yeah, that's out there. Go check that out. Hope you enjoy. And I guess until next time, or until the Red Skull, just like Cap, also wakes up after a long sleep in the nineteen sixties. Make ours marvel. marvel.